Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I am uh, so glad that Dr. Peter Kapsner is going to be joining me in this hour. We're going to continue our Sunburnt series, which is the title we gave this uh, Wednesday at 5 o'clock time during the summer, because we're going to do different topics every week. You might uh, know us from the Salvation Series and the Prayer Series. Both series lasted about six months. So we're a little bit more random this uh, summer. And Peter, so far, it's been a blast. It really has, Bill. It's given us the opportunity to dive in uh, just even for one hour, right, on some topics that are top of the mind. I know at the start of summer, we went ahead and asked the listeners for some suggestions and some things that they would like to at least see covered on a weekly basis. And so it generated a lot of this. And you and Rosie have reached out to a number of people that have just been great to come on and address some of these things. Yeah, we generally have about 10 minutes of material that we have to stretch into an hour. That's why it's really important to get good guests. And we've got two great ones today. Indeed. No. And, and we and anytime uh, we've had Beth and, and you've had Beth on the show, and I know you'll introduce her more in just a moment, it just generates a ton of interest from the listeners. She's just accessible and teaches from such a, a deep place. And so it's going to be fun to, to have a couple of different guests today. Yeah. Let me introduce our guest. Beth Guckenberger is uh, a missionary. She's author of eight books and co-director of Back to Back Ministries. And between foster biological and adoption, uh, her and her husband, Tom, Todd, have raised 10 kids. And Rob Hall is also with us today. He's president of Trauma Free World. And what we're really going to talk about today, because they were on once just with me, and we talked about trauma. And I, I swear that the text line lit up with people sharing their stories. And it seems like my ears have been open to hearing more and more people uh, confess their trauma and say, mm-hmm. I'm in need of healing. I'm in trouble. And I know God wants us to live abundantly and a full life. And, and how do we work through trauma? So today we're going to talk about that. Beth and Rob, welcome. Thanks for having us, you guys, both of you. Yeah. yeah Great Rob. to be here. Thank you. Yeah. And we're all sort of, you guys are all on the phone, so we're not visually looking at each other. So I appreciate everyone taking turns talking. And uh, Peter, I will start with you because you know, and I know a lot of people that have gone through unbelievable levels of trauma and and it's it's heartbreaking because when you meet with them what is your counsel to them yeah boy oh boy bill um being a part of vocational christianity i suppose and what i mean by that is being somebody who has been involved in christian organizations like churches and christian universities for the better part of 30 years i think what's interesting is one of the common patterns that i see is that there isn't a lot of uh, public environments where people come um, to to the table with their trauma and what's happened. But I, I would say over the last 15 years, as I've been primarily now in classrooms with students, both of the younger generation, 18 to 22-year-olds, but also many students who are completing their degrees or coming back to school. So we're talking 30 to 70-year-olds that when they have the opportunity to, in the relative anonymity of the papers that they write for me and the kind of courses I teach, talk a little bit about their journey Uh, It is a little breathtaking, the pattern of of trauma that is there, whether it's a relational trauma of a divorce, whether it is having lost a child, whether it's uh, job loss or moving or uncertainty in life. 
uh, generally speaking, when you get below the surface uh, of people's faith and, and their journey, this is what's underpinning it. And frankly, then to answer your question, it's hard to know what to say and do because you don't want to just slap a, an easy Christian answer on and say, well, pray a little bit harder next week and, it, and it'll be fine, or just let go and let God. Some of these trite Christian sayings that, that may have some truth that are in them, but don't tend to help people. So frankly, I feel a bit ill-equipped when people do crack open to know how to help them walk through to the other side because it's often a bit longer journey than what pastors can help with or professors can help with. And and that's where I'm hopeful our, our guest today can help a little bit, just begin to unwind that process. That's what I see. How to help? Oh, boy, that's a much difficult, uh, much more difficult question. Yeah, I appreciate you setting the table. Uh, Beth Guckenberger and Rob Hall are our guests, and we're talking about uh, getting answers uh, through our trauma. So, Beth, Rob, who wants to take their first stab at what Peter uh, said? Sure, I absolutely will. Um, oh, Peter, you know, I think that it, what what most resonated with me about what you were saying is you use words like journey and this. There's no quick fix when something when trauma has happened. It's all it's happened in the context of relationship. And so the way that because trauma happens in relationship, healing has to happen in relationship. And um, you know the kind of trauma training that we'll spend this hour talking about today is the kind of trauma training that lay people can be equipped and trained to do, um, I certainly there's a, a, a wonderful place for professionals, and I, I highly recommend anyone listening who's experienced, um, has a traumatic history, I, I encourage them to seek professional help. But really, I, we, the rampant use, the rampant reality of trauma in today's world means that um, everyday people need to have the tools in their tool belt to be able to know how to ask the right questions, listen well, um, help people who are dysregulated, understand what the power of presence does, all the things we'll talk about today, really important with our children and our workplaces and in our neighborhoods and, and all the places that we go and, and are. Thank you for that, Beth. Rob? Yeah, I think I would add to that, you know, the, the most recent statistics, which don't even include the pandemic, 70% of adults, and that's just in the United States, have experienced some type of trauma. And that could be, uh, as we talked about before, an acute trauma like a car wreck or a tornado. But more importantly is this ongoing chronic or complex trauma, abandonment, abuse, um, neglect, um, things that happen as a result of racism or violence. These are things that all of our neighbors, our coworkers, these are the people who show up in, in your office spaces, in your churches, um, in your in your small groups. And, uh, you know, I get a lot of times uh, people say, 70 percent, not in my neighborhood. And I might even say, well, that, that's great. You may live in a great neighborhood. Cut that number in half. So three or four out of the 10 people that you work with, that you live near, that you go to church with, have experienced some type of trauma. And as Beth said, um, it's not only for the people who've experienced it to to find some way to for healing, but it's incumbent upon all of us um, as part of their uh, a support system, their their neighborhood, their network, their families, um, their church families. It's incumbent upon all of us to to learn skills that help us help them heal. I've heard this cliche before. And I don't know if this is true, but I, I've heard if you don't deal with your trauma, it will deal with you. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I absolutely am not against 
pithy statements like that. And, yeah. and certainly trauma does find its way to express itself. We say that there's always meaning behind behavior. So when someone's behaving in a way, they're trying to say something. And if they can't find the words, they'll demonstrate with you through their actions, putting their trauma in essence on display. But I think just to start out with anyone who's listening, like, oh, this is too heavy of a topic. I wasn't planning on spending an hour listening on something this hard. I want to just baseline begin the conversation to say that God created our brains to heal. And regardless of the kind of trauma, whether it's acute trauma, like Rob was talking about, or chronic, complex developmental trauma, God designed us to heal. And two of the tools that he uses to help us heal is listening and play. And those are things any of us can learn how to do well. We talk about in our trauma training how to play with a purpose, um, how to have good listening skills. And when someone gets heard and when someone gets to play, all kinds of wonderful hormones and chemicals wash over our brain that not only begin that, that healing process biologically, but begin to heal and form connection and relationship, which then reverses the effect of trauma in someone's life. So um, again, just, just there is a lot of hope, even in the midst of really hard statistics, like 70%, like Rob was mentioning. And Beth, I remember you telling a story last time you were on about uh, missionaries and you, what you were encouraging them to do was to play with the children. I would yeah. love for you to tell that story again. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I was a missionary. We've been missionaries 25 years working in the area of orphaned and vulnerable children. And I just admit to your listeners that in the beginning of my journey with orphaned and vulnerable children, I thought the answer was to feed them, or I thought the answer was just to make sure they had really good education. I thought I was looking at programming as a way to kind of reverse the effects of their circumstances in their lives. Um, but about a decade ago, we had to really face the facts that only the most resilient children we were interacting with were finding pathways out of their circumstances and not repeating the cycle they'd been born into. And what we were doing and had been doing for almost 15 years at that point wasn't good enough. And when we decided to understand the science behind trauma and apply our faith to that science and understand what, what tools can we gain that would help us facilitate emotional healing in kids, that the whole entire story changed. And um, you know, that, that's today what we feel really passionate about talking about is, you know, trauma training doesn't actually change children. Trauma training changes the adult so that they, they, they are equipped fully for being in, a, being in a room with their foster child, adopted child, their classroom with their teachers, their after-school programming, their neighborhood, their coaching scenario. Wherever they are, we want adults to be able to have the tools so they can stay in the story stay in relationship and be agents of healing in the lives of children. Yeah, let me take a break, but when I come back, I want to hear more about that. I know there's a website people can go to regarding this trauma training. Beth Guckenberger and Rob Hall are our guests. Dr. Peter Kapscher and I are doing our Sunburnt series. So you know it's Wednesday at 5.15 already. We'll take a short break and be right back.
so much for listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. If you enjoy what you're finding here, consider subscribing to some of our other Faith Radio podcasts, like mine, for instance. You can search Susie Larson Live at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. Welcome back. I've got some guests today with incredible street cred. Beth Guckenberger is uh, one of our guests. She's a missionary and author of eight books and co-executive director of Back to Back Ministries. And uh, Rob Hall is a president of Trauma Free World, got his doctorate in educational leadership at the University of Kentucky and his MED in counseling at Xavier University. These two know what they're talking about. Peter, um, you've got a question for Beth, I think. Yeah, for both of them, actually. I'm just so okay. uh, intrigued by that idea of play, but also that idea of listen. I, I think looking at the listening part of this, you guys, I'm curious uh, what, what you see in that. Do you need a professional listener or at, at what at what point do you need sort of like the, the therapeutic intervention of a psychologist or a counselor or something like that? And, and the reason why I ask is when we lived overseas for a bit, they they don't have like the psychological profession. They don't have the counselor profession. They don't have go see a therapist kind of profession so often because they tend to be living in community with one another and, and simply having a different kind of relationship. And so I guess in this long-winded question, I'm not suggesting we just shouldn't have therapists, but I'm curious um, about this idea of listening. I know that even my kid's posture changes towards me on a simple conversation when I look up from the computer and don't try to multitask doing computer stuff and listening at the same time, when they know I'm just listening to them, it really, their entire posture towards me changes. Yeah, I think I'll jump in on that one. Um, You know, I was a professional therapist for about 11 years early in my career. um, And I think you're right on. There is an absolute reason and good reasons for people to engage in professional therapy. But I can remember even in my training that that regardless of modality of of uh, the the therapist training, whether it was person centered or solution focused or whatever they were, somewhere in the range of 75 to 80 percent of the skill of that therapist was based on their ability to build a trusting relationship with their client. And that was built through listening. So, you know, if you're a good listener, you're 80 percent of the way to being a fantastic quote unquote therapist. And so I want to encourage people that's a that's a skill that is is learnable to be a good listener. And uh, and so I, I think you're exactly right. Um, having people around you that can listen well provides the kind of relationship that brings healing. I'd also say to that that we know from research that when people listen well, healing happens in the live of life of the person speaking and healing happens in people's brains that are doing the listening, right? So people speaking and people listening actually provide, actually find healing in their brains in the act of, of, of talking and listening to one another. It's really a magnificent level of research, and it gives us hope that we can just be a great neighbor, a great coworker, a great friend, and we can, we can have the skill to bring healing to people that we interact with. Great answer, but Rob it, Paul. Yeah. And I'm curious, too, just to follow up on that. You, you guys have both referenced the idea of our brain is designed to heal. So clearly trauma must hit us in our brain somewhere. I mean, what, 
what are we talking when a traumatic event hits? What happens in our brain when somebody if somebody is listening right now and they think, gosh, I had this terrible news of the divorce or somebody passing. There, there's actually like some sort of physiology to this, right? I mean, there, there's locations in the brain where this stuff gets stored. So I'd love for you to just help us understand a little bit more about what actually happens to us with trauma. Because I think some people think, I'm just going crazy. This isn't a big deal. But stuff <laughs> actually does happen to us. For sure. And this this will be a simplification for anyone um, who's listening who who understands this professionally. But the front of our brains, the, the, like right, right where our forehead is, is our frontal cortex. And in that space, that prefrontal cortex, we, we do problem solving. We do creative thinking. We do cause and effect. Like all the most complex thoughts happen up there at the front of our brain. Right behind our ears, there are two almond-shaped glands that are called the amygdala. And that's where we store our fight, uh, fight, fight, or flee, freeze mechanisms. And when, when trauma happens, our amygdala gets activated and we have one of those three responses. And what we know about our brain is that the front of our brain cannot function at the same time as our amygdala and the amygdala wins every time. So, so like I have a 19 year old son that we adopted when he was 12 and from zero to 12, when he wasn't in my care, he had a lot of traumatic events happened that caused his amygdala to be very active. It gets it gets triggered and becomes um, it, it it functions at a really high level all the time. And so, what might not trigger someone who has a healthy childhood can be triggering to him. And then all of a sudden, he's hyper vigilant and he's either freezing or or fighting or fleeing over circumstances that for someone else they might be able to rationalize in the front of their brain a way out of that circumstance or ask the right questions or ask for help or engage with someone in order to regulate themselves. The other part of that brain is these are just three little terms that um, that kind of help you understand where, where might someone be going. When we're talking to children, we ask them, how's their motor or their engine running in their brain? Are they feeling themselves running really fast or are they in a calm state? But we talk about how People can self-regulate, so a healthy adult can have really an extraordinary event, and they can feel themselves um, able to um, regulate their emotions, have rational thought, get through whatever circumstance might be triggering them. You have people that get dysregulated, so they're like, man, that just, you know, that's maybe some really simple examples would be like road rage or you know, someone who has an exaggerated response to something, they're dysregulated. And one thing that as an adult we can do with children who are dysregulated is we can co-regulate them. We can um, work alongside of them to learn how to breathe, to, to find themselves um, returning to some sense of control, to think through the circumstance they're in. So, um, yeah, as an adult, I mean, we know from the um, Purvis Institute at Texas Christian University and the research that they've done there that trauma impacts our brain, our belief system, our biology, all, all kinds of things. And uh, yeah, I could go on and on as you can tell. <laughs> oh, I love it, Beth. Continue because I, I love the train of thought you're on right now. Yeah, I, I, what I want people to realize is like for my 19-year-old son the other night, he was triggered by a guest that was visiting our home. And he behaved in a way that as a parent, I didn't like. And I wanted to say to him, what were you thinking? Like, you can't do that. 
But the truth is he wasn't thinking. He was only feeling. It reminded him. It triggered trauma he'd had long before he'd ever walked into my household. His amygdalas were firing, and all he could do was feel the need to flee. And I didn't want, I, I want to help. I want to go find him wherever he's gone to. I want to lower my physical body until I have good eye contact with him. And I want to listen to him until he can co-regulate with me, become self-regulated, then be able to get up to the front of his brain and articulate for me what it was that was triggering to him. And as I listen to him, I'm teaching him about what can happen the next time he feels those emotions. So the timeouts in parenting are more than just a device. It actually gets your brain to settle down a little bit and reconnect to your frontal cortex. Yeah, and we actually think that timeouts are not that great of idea. What we prefer is a time in. Okay. Because a timeout, a timeout says, I can't even be in your presence right now. Your behavior is driving me crazy. I actually want to break relationship with you and send you away somewhere which is actually further traumatizing that brain, continuing to activate those amygdalas and giving us the responses that we don't want. What's way better for me is to say, hey, you and I need to go take a break somewhere for a minute. I'm going to time myself in for you. I might remove you from a circumstance, separate you from a sibling. You know, I, I might, we might move away from some environment, but I'm going to go with you. And together we'll co-regulate until you're self-regulated, until we can get you to the place where you're thinking, until we can, I can listen to you. And now we can begin some of that healing. Does that come as a surprise to you, Peter? Well, you know, we have we have five kids. I, 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 can't, I think sometimes I'm the one that needs the time out in that situation more than anybody else with them. But but I think you're right, Beth. We, we actually, in, in terms of trying to... Um, practice discipline with our kids. We caught that early on, and and that phrase, I think it's understandable to say, "Hey, we all need a break of some kind." Um, that's a little bit different than saying, "I don't want to be in your presence anymore, so you need to act in a certain way in order for me to want to be in your presence." And and that that shouldn't, you know, suggest that we we tolerate bad behavior. But boy, we can send the wrong messages, right? We can, and I think it's totally um, admirable that you just admitted that sometimes you need the time out. I, we have 11 kids. I mean, I, I, I need timed out all the time. And I, what, what timing myself models for my children as well as provides for me is, hey, I'm about to react, and I don't want to react. I actually would rather respond. And I need to take a, you know, a beat and take a deep breath and think about what it is that I'm about to say or do. And when I don't do that, when I don't time in and I don't, I don't take a second to breathe first and I explode or I react in some way, the phrases that we teach in our trauma training is um, we, we say that phrase, would you like a redo? So if, if for example, my 19-year-old son says something I wish he wouldn't have disrespectfully or acts in a way that he, wasn't, that he knows better than, instead of just just hammering him with, I can't believe you did that again. And do you understand what this means this time? And here's your, your consequence. The first question I try to ask him is, Hey, would you like a redo? And that gives him a moment to go, you know what? My first, the first thing that I said was not the right thing. And this relationship is giving me a chance to say it in a way that's more respectful and relationship honoring. Nice. We need to take a short break. Beth Guckenberger and Rob Hall are our guests. During this time, Dr. Peter Kafter and I are enjoying our Sunburnt series. We're talking about trauma today. If you have a question or a contribution you'd like to make, let me know. Send it over via text, 
933-2484. Be right back. This is a Faith Radio produced podcast. You can find out more about Faith Radio and get some really fun goodies if you sign up for our free welcome pack at myfaithradio.com. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Welcome to the Sunburn series. Our guests today are Beth Guckenberger and Rob Hall. We're talking about trauma. And if you missed any of this, you're going to want to go back and hear it from the beginning. You can always head over to MyFaithRadio.com. So during the break, I uh, texted Peter a really interesting question, and I said, Peter, why don't you ask it? So go ahead. It was profound, Bill. I appreciate (laughs) the text. It set me up that way. (laughs) We were curious, you guys, a little bit in talking in that first segment just about the practical needs of listening and, um, and play and those sorts of things. What, what is distinctly Christian about maybe healing from trauma? Uh, God seems so mysterious sometimes to interact with, and yet we absolutely believe that God is our healer. And so what have you seen from your background about um, maybe the unique power that's at work among believers to help heal this trauma? Hmm. You know what? Um, you don't know this, so I know you weren't purposely setting me up for this, but uh, we're releasing a book next year called Presence Matters, a 40-day journey into the relationship between faith trauma and science. Because what I found in my own personal journey as a missionary, that the more I learned about good science, good research that was going on right now about the brain and about trauma, the more I found those truths, capital T truths in my Bible, that that Jesus acted in a in what we might call a very trauma-informed way, the way that he treated people, the way that he fed certain belief systems, the way that he acted as a father. And um, we, we talk about connecting before correcting. And he, he behaved, um, particularly in his ministry, um, during those three years in very trauma-informed ways. And if we modeled our life after the way that he was with people, we would watch healing happen around us, not necessarily miraculous healing, but certainly um, healing through relationships. Beth, I appreciate that. Uh, talk about, if you would, the way the brain will pair certain things together. I mean, if Peter hears the Jaws music, he gets out of the swimming pool. I don't know why he does that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> for sure. That's lodged deep. I don't think any amount of listening or play is ever going to unlodge the Jaws theme, and that's for sure. <laughs> but how do, do we have to heal from some of these paired memories? Yeah, what, I, what I'd say about that is, yes, Beth, uh, Beth initially uh, in the previous segment talked about triggers. And yes, our brain can can um, uh, store memories, even memories that we don't understand. So pre-cognitive or pre-verbal memories. So memories even back when we were infants, um, you know, less than a year old, we have a memory lodged, even if we don't have words to associate with that memory. So in the Jaws example, I, I'm with you, Peter. I I, I am. <laughs> You know, I think of that when I go to the beach, right? I I know the music. I know that actually is a a kind of memory about something traumatic that brings fear into me that should I get in the water or shouldn't I? And that's that's really kind of how trauma works. Things trigger a memory, some that we're aware of, some that we're not. And it causes us to behave or think or feel 
in a particular way that doesn't make necessarily rational sense, right? I'm, the chances of me getting eaten by a shark are so incredibly small, but I can still have enough fear from that memory that it prevents me from getting in the water. It doesn't have to make sense, but it conjures up something in me that causes me to think or feel or act in a way that I might not act um, otherwise. But, you know, like to Rob's point, some of those, those early memories, if you think about a child age zero to two, between age zero to two and a healthy environment, that child has heard the word yes, I mean, thousands of times. Yes, if you're hungry, I'll feed you. Yes, if you're wet, I'll change you. Yes, if you're tired, I'll rock you. Yes, if you cry, I'll hold you. Like, yes, 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 over and over again. And then when finally they're two and they try to put their finger in the socket and they hear the word no, it's okay. It's sat on, it, that no is balanced by thousands of yeses. When a child has had a traumatic experience or, or is a um, victim of chronic or complex developmental trauma, they haven't heard enough yeses. When they're hungry, nobody responded. When they cried, no one picked them up. When they're, you know, whatever their, their physical needs were that were unresponded to. And so one of the ways in which we can counteract some of those negative experiences they had around food in particular is we can, we call it the, the principle of the power of yes. And so when we start to interact with a child, but truthfully, this can work with adults too, but when we start to interact with a child who has had a challenging stored cognitive memories that are so painful, we just look for every reason we can to say yes, even if that means I have to rearrange my no. So if somebody says, you know, can I watch that movie and it's bedtime? Yes, you can watch that movie. Tomorrow we'll wake up and do that first thing. Or can I have this ice cream for dinner? Yes, you can have that ice cream. Finish your broccoli and then I'll scoop you up a, a, a cup of it. You know, like figuring out ways to say yes, because when our brains hear yes, it re we release all those beautiful hormones that make us feel positive and feel good. We love to hear the word yes. And so... Um, I just say that so that people can hear that no matter if your brain has been wired to store really painful memories, there is a path out of that. And uh, Rob and the Trauma-Free World team have developed an online training that we would love for your listeners to access um, on our website. And it teaches really simple principles that, again, lay people can start to metabolize and then it can impact the way that they parent, even for me, I have biological children who have lived in my hopefully healthy, emotionally healthy home their whole lives. And I still parent them using some of these principles because I understand their relationship rich. And that's what we want. We want rich relationship. The richer the relationship, the more exchange happens, the more people feel heard, the more they play, the more belief systems are, are exchanged and passed along. And we want a world that's not disconnected, but that is increasingly connected. Uh, Beth uh, and Robert, is, is childhood trauma, is it is it different to deal with, typically speaking, than maybe adult trauma? And, and I'm sure that's there's way too many variables uh, to really answer that question fairly. But do you see just general patterns when somebody has a deep childhood trauma that is, is unique or different than maybe a trauma as an adult? Um, there are there's different kinds of traumas. I'll just start with that. And again, in, in a, a radio show, we can't break them all down. But think in two buckets. You have like acute trauma, like you were in a car accident or something, and then you have long-term or chronic complex trauma. But 
in acute trauma, there are some shared principles. Like basically we have about 72 hours to process something hard that happens to us before that memory gets stored into a place that's easily triggered. So um, we did some work in the city of Houston when they had um, a hurricane a number of years ago. And we knew that those folks who had been displaced from their homes and had some trauma around that natural disaster had a pretty short window to process what they had experienced. Or the next time there was a rain cloud, they would start to feel some of the emotions that weren't necessarily appropriate for that normal old rainstorm. They were emotions that would have been better appropriated to something more traumatic. And so we want people to process in real time children and adults acute trauma when it happens in order to protect them from long-term consequences. Yeah, and I would I would add to that a little bit of the difference between adults and kids, especially kids under four. This is called complex developmental trauma. It's a subset of chronic trauma. So it's ongoing trauma, abuse, ab abandonment, neglect that happens before the age of four. The reason it's considered complex developmental trauma is, as the name would indicate, so much development is happening in children in these ages. And so the long-term effects of trauma for a child under four are much more significant and difficult to overcome than perhaps someone who's 12 or 15 who might face, or an adult who might face some of the same instances because it's interrupted the development of that child. So the growth of their brain or their actual, their, their physical growth, their height or weight, those kinds of developmental um, uh, sensory kind of things that happen to children when they're younger uh, have a much more long-term effect than perhaps with, with children or adults. One more, if maybe follow up on just that part of it then too. Um, does When you talk about cumulative trauma a little bit, do you end up having to deal with just like the entire reality of trauma in general? Or if somebody has multiple different kinds of trauma in their life, do you do, when you unwind one, do you sort of find the tentacle of another one and then another one? Or, or how do you go about doing this? I just think sometimes I hear stories of somebody saying, so I lost my dad when I was five, and then my mom moved in with an abusive stepfather, and then this and that. And there's all of this accumulation of trauma in somebody's life where it just seems to pile one on top of another. How do you handle it in those kind of situations, one at a time or the whole sort of ball of wax? You know, this that actually brings up what we were talking about a little bit at the start of the this last segment about the spiritual component of, of addressing trauma. Because we know we have an enemy. And that enemy, sometimes I describe it to kids like I tell them about this one time when I was on a shark excursion in Key West, Florida, and I rode on the back of a boat and I was promised for a certain amount of money I would get close to some sharks in the water. And the way that they drew the sharks to the boat was they ripped up some fish and those bloody fish bled into the water and attracted the sharks and guaranteed um, that I would get my money's worth. And in the same way, the enemy is like those sharks and he's looking for blood in the water. He's attracted to pain um, and he takes advantage of it. So uh, yes, when someone has experienced trauma, they are more spiritually vulnerable to an enemy who's looking to attack them. And it, uh, we know there's 2 billion children on the planet today, and of those 2 billion children, it's a fact that 50% of them or a billion of those children have experienced trauma. So when you think, like when we try to wrap our brains around, what are we going to do about a planet that has a billion traumatized children walking around? Well, the 
really the only recourse is we need to put a safe adult in the life of every one of those children. And those safe adults can teach them what it looks like to, to fight an enemy, to pull apart the tentacles of a painful childhood, to, to listen and play their way um, to, a, to a spot where they are able to articulate what happened to them and receive God's healing in it. And again, for your listeners, what I want them to feel like is this subject is not, trauma is not a lifetime. It doesn't have to be a lifetime sentence that there are ways spiritually that God wants to use um, both his power and spirit as well as his saints that are around us to be agents of healing and reconciliation in our lives. I would hey, love Peter, I think I, oh, if ahead, I could sit real quick, I, I just think this is such an important question that you just asked because the overwhelming nature of trauma in people's lives caused them not to want to bring it up because they, it might lead to all kinds of things they're not even aware of. And it causes people who could be good listeners to not ask because there's this kind of unknown thing, like where might this lead? And what I would really want to encourage people, apart from the professional relationship where people, you know, where, where you get into that, just the average listener who, who either might have experienced trauma or wants to help someone, for the, for the person who's experienced trauma, just begin the conversation. You don't have to figure out everything, but if there's something that rises to you and says, I'd really like to unpack this, I'd really like to start, then by all means, start there. And for the listener, don't force the conversation. Just be a really great, respectful listener and just say, I'm willing to listen to whatever you want to bring up about this. And whenever you want to stop talking about this, I'll respect that. And that, mm-hmm. al- that allows the safety, the felt safety in a relationship to begin the healing process instead of being afraid of where that process might lead. So I think that's such an important question you asked. And there should be freedom for people who've experienced trauma and people who want to help people who've experienced trauma to say, let's just get started, feel safe, and we'll stop whenever you want to stop. Mm-hmm. All right. Beth Guckenberger, Rob Hall, give us again the website for the training. Sure. Traumafreeworld.org. You can find uh, just about anything you'd want to know about trauma training on there on demand, short, 30 minutes, all the way up to three and a half hours. Trauma Traumafreeworld.org. Trauma. trauma TraumaFreeWorld.org. They always say you got to say it three times to have it stick. Yes. (laughs) And you say it twice, and I had to spit it out once. So that that makes three. All right, let me take a break. I've got some stories coming in, and they're all long. Uh, So I'm I'm in over my head with suggesting to listeners to uh, you know throw in their their story because I've got some stuff. I don't know how we can deal with these. They're they're too long and complicated. So. I'm already mm-hmm. apologizing in advance. Hopefully we can get back to a couple when I return. Uh, this is the Sunburnt Series with uh, Beth, Beth Guckenberger and Rob Hall. We're talking about trauma today, it's a very difficult subject, and there is hope and lots of it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. 
So glad to have Beth Guckenberger and Rob Hall as our guests. We're talking about trauma today. Not an easy subject, but lots of hope, because that's what God intends is to, us to heal from our trauma. And I was just trying to go through some of the comments that have come in, and here's one I think we can deal with. It's a shorter one. Um, I faced racial trauma and bullying and have not had someone who understands. I'm, I'm trying to heal. My church community, which is mainly white, refuses to understand my pain. I was a teenager. I was hated. How does a person like that find healing through this trauma? Hmm. What I think of when I hear that is we talk sometimes about the principle of the middle circle, which is, you know, God has all these resources like mercy, wisdom, patience, grace, self-control. Like God is, has every full measures of everything we would ever need. And you, you have that, if you picture that as the top of a circle, and then you have us down, you know, as individuals, we need a middle circle, someone that can, can show us, can link us to all the resources that God wants. And we'd love, I mean, in a perfect world, that capital C church would link people to introduce people to how to get access to God and, and his resources. And so my first, my first response is just a grieving that your listener doesn't have someone who is connecting them to the resources they need to feel heard or to be understood or to be comforted or any of the things that they might possibly need. Certainly God wants to comfort them. God wants to hear them. God wants to understand them. Um, so I'm sorry about that um, in many ways, but uh, I'd, I'd throw in there, I'd throw in there, Beth. Number one is, I, I really do think it is a it is a movement of God right now that this is bubbling to the to the surface because it does cause division. This idea of of race and racial reconciliation um, these are important movements, not just in general but inside of the church. Um, and I'm going to give a shout out actually to a friend of ours. His name is Chuck Mingo, and he leads an organization called Undivided. And you can find them at undivided.org. And uh, Chuck is a dear brother. Um, it's a Christian organization. And he is focused on this idea of unity, primarily in the church around uh, areas of race. Um, I, I echo with Beth. It is, it is a tough conversation. And for uh, folks, you know, minority folks, black, brown folks, this is a hard thing. And uh, I just want to encourage her to, to continue to find um, uh, partners who will be that middle circle, as Beth suggested, who can bring the resources of God to a person in need of those resources. Undivided is one of those places. Um, and uh, if this listener can find other people who are willing to go along with her in that journey, then they can also bring those those things to her. Guys, when you talk about uh, trauma in the church like that, too, I'm curious uh, the many forms that it takes uh, if a church is hurting in some ways, how, how do people that maybe are living with trauma, if 70% of the population has it to some degree, how might that play itself out in the life of a church that might be struggling? And, and what would you suggest to a church to say, hey, look, we need to start getting our head around this a little bit more. It's not just for the, the counseling staff of the church. Maybe as a body, how do we begin to enter into this? I mean, yeah, there's a lot of layers to that question, Peter. I mean, certainly we want our staff that work with children to feel like they're equipped for recognizing when there's meaning behind behavior, um, recognizing a child that might be experiencing trauma, 
certainly from a pulpit setting on a stage on a on a weekend, you want any communicator, whether they're communicating announcements or communicating the message, to be able to to have a trauma lens when they're sharing, uh, to be thinking about what this would feel like or sound like to someone who's hurting, um, which is the the bulk of the converse, of the people. I, and I I think that there's it's like so funny to me how. I've been a Christian my whole life, and the idea of self-care, is, it's kind of looked down on in the church. Like, Jesus should just be enough. Well, of course Jesus is enough, but how do we how do we make time and space for Jesus to be and meet us and 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 to commune with us? We we do it through, through self-care. And so sometimes I hear Christians use the phrase soul care. That's fine with me if that makes you feel better to call it soul care, but it's that it's that I'm going to listen. I'm going to be mindful about where my engine's running. I'm going to be mindful. The other day I had personally, I had a sinful reaction to someone's Instagram post. And I just took a moment to say, that's not who I am. That's not how I would normally react. There's something going on. There's meaning behind my behavior. Instead of just shaming myself for having a sinful thought, a much better approach for me would be to take a moment with Jesus and say, where was that thought coming from? And where is it that I might need some healing so that that doesn't happen again? And I think that practice is something we can do and teach in our churches. I'm yeah, feeling very convicted. Peter, that's, oh, Rob, I'm yeah, sorry. That's, that's, I'm, I'm feeling very convicted right now. So, Peter, you take over the rest of the show. I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, would, I would add, Peter, that that's what trauma-free world is in the business of, right? Training training your kids' ministry volunteers, your kids' ministry staff, youth staff, your your greeters, people who are ushers, people are coming into your church congregation, bringing with them everything that they've experienced, including those volunteers who've experienced those things. And so training a church in the very practical skill of how do I, how do I understand trauma? How do I recognize trauma? How do I respond to trauma in the people that I'm working with? That's that's what Trauma Free World is about. Um, we provide training to the to the non Christian world, but our heartbeat has always been biblically integrated training for Christians and for the church. Um, and if it's a shameless plug, I'm going to give it. If if somebody out there says I want my church to learn more about it, shoot an email to hello at traumafreeworld.org, and we would be happy to talk to you about what's the best first step to at least begin this conversation in your church, it's needed now more than ever. Yeah, I mean, that's not, that doesn't seem shameless at all, right, Bill? I mean, with, this is what you, you hear this day in and day out from, from <laughs> listeners in terms of just the needs of this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of people have gone th- are going through a lot of trauma, and I think churches are would be um, very wise to get more equipped with how to spot it and recognize it and deal with it. I'm curious, and yeah, we've we got a couple of minutes left. I'm, I'm curious to ask a little bit more about the amygdala because it, that seems like a part of the brain that's getting worked and overworked more than ever before. Yeah, in fact, um, sometimes when I'm talking to kids about their own amygdalas, we talk about how, if you think about it, there should be like a door between our amygdala and that front part of our brain. When we've experienced a lot, and that door can get shut, so our front of our brain can do all the things that we want it to do, like math class and and know how to avoid danger and resolve conflict with a friend. But when we've experienced a lot of trauma, that door is like propped open, 
and we flow way too freely back and forth from that amygdala, and we find ourselves um, hypervigilant, oversensitive, easily triggered. And so if I'm an adult and I find a kid that I might have used words before I understood trauma as difficult, belligerent, rebellious, disrespectful, if I can take a look at a child who's acting in those ways and think, oh, man, their door's just kicked open. Mm-hmm. It's my job to help create safe places for them to feel like they are they have what, what we talk about in trauma training is felt safety. They understand their environment. They understand who the adults are and how the adults feel about them. Now their engines can slow down a little bit. That door can close and we can do some real work um, in their lives and, and through and see see who it was that God always created them to be. Really good. Thank you so much for doing the show today. Um, It's just really been great having you on. Uh, Beth Guckenberger, you can go to backtoback.org, B-A-C-K, the number two, B-A-C-K.org. And then Rob Hall as well. Thank you so much. Go to traumafreeworld.org to learn more about uh, their ministry. So nice to have you both on. Peter, this has been a great hour. It really has been a great hour. I just think it's one of those things that well, I think we talk about, right, from time to time, but to have some very specific ideas and hope and, and just that people don't think they're crazy, right? If they're going yes. through trauma when, when so much of the world, it just let, let's get through that uh, stigma a bit and, and really be able to enter into this. Yeah. Beth and Rob, thank you so much. You're so generous with your time. I appreciate you both very much. Thanks for having us on today, guys. Yeah. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Peter. Yeah. Well, Peter, that wraps up the show. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening and supporting Faith Radio. If you missed any of today's program, you can always head to MyFaithRadio.com. As you lay your head on the pillow tonight, just rest. Know that God loves you, I love you, and that He's working out a great plan in your life. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.